So last Sunday, we kicked off a, a two-part series called uh, The God Gap, and we started to explore uh, this topic of the God Gap through the life of Gideon uh, that we read about in Judges uh, chapters 6 through to chapter 8. And I mentioned how, for the purpose of this series, uh, the God Gap was that gap between you and what God is calling you to, when you're kind of standing there, God's called you to something, and you're kind of looking at it and going, man, how, how am I supposed to ever do that? And then there's kind of this gap between you and God's purpose that is intended for you not to do anything with, but is intended for God to fill. And so that's the God gap uh, that we're uh, talking about. And we started last week with two questions uh, to get us thinking about this topic. The first question was, can you identify the God gap in your own life? Can you identify that, uh, that purpose or that God goal in your life that God's called you to that just seems so big that you just don't know how you're ever going to achieve it uh, in your own strength? That just seems so big that you know that it's beyond your own ability and that it can only happen uh, if God, by, his, uh, by the power of His Spirit, is filling that gap and making things happen um, for you. And uh, the second question that we asked last week was, whose voice are you listening to? And I suggested that there are three voices around our lives that we could probably be listening to, and uh, all three voices will try and fill that gap. And so the first voice is the voice of God, uh, which as we act in obedience to, God will fill uh, that gap the way it's intended to be. Uh, there's the voice of the devil who's there to lie to you, who's there to steal from you everything that God's got planned for you. And uh, there's our own voice that kind of looks, looks at things and kind of goes, you know what, God, I, I know how I'm going to do this. So we reason with the, the gap that God has left for him to fill. We reason with God and reason with ourselves to try and fill it our way, uh, which uh, in turn I mentioned last week causes us to kind of lose the fullness of what we were meant to receive from God. Does that make sense uh, this morning? Does that kind of sum it up? Uh, those of you who weren't here last week, that kind of kind of understand that. And so we've got these three voices. And if you missed that message, uh, you can find it uh, again on the church app uh, or on podcast uh, where that is loaded. Uh, but this morning, I wanted to share uh, some keys just to follow on from those questions, which hopefully uh, you've had a chance to think about and give some thought to over the last week. Keys that I believe will help you uh, leave your gap for God to fill which I think is sometimes the hardest thing. It'll help us to leave our gap for God to fill and help you to trust God to fill it rather than trusting others or trusting ourselves to fill it. And so if you're taking notes this morning, we're gonna get straight into our three points. And the first one uh, is to go in the strength you have. Judges 6 verse 14. The Lord then turned to him, him being Gideon, uh, who we've been looking at, and said, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? In the NLT, it says, go with the strength you have, and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. And I suggested last week for all of us that whenever God is calling us into something as big and as 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 scary as it looks, I believe that God is calling us knowing that we already have everything we need to fulfill it. And what we don't have 
is intended for God to fill. Uh, that gap that we see is intended for God uh, to fill in. And uh, so God says this to Gideon. He says, go, go in the strength that you have. Giving Gideon this instruction. And I believe that when we kind of step out, uh, step out in faith, which is what it is, when God calls us to something and there's this gap and we step out anyway in faith, uh, trusting and believing that God's going to be with us, uh, we're never stepping out in our own strength. Interesting that in the, um, in the King James and the New King James, it says, go in this might of yours, almost implying that there's more to him than just him. But we never go in our own strength. So yes, there is uh, what little strength we have uh, that we bring uh, to the calling, um, but God gives his strength to go with us, amen? Verse 16, in the same chapter, God says to Gideon, surely I will be with you. Surely I will be with you, implying that God in his strength is going to be with Gideon. And then God rallies a corporate strength behind us. So often we kind of, we kind of dismiss, we, we kind of think of ourselves in, in our own kind of strength and we kind of isolate ourselves. But God, God's strength gets around us and then God rallies a corporate strength around us, which is things like our family who support us, our community who supports us, and our friends and allies. And so God says to Gideon, go in the strength you have. And then look at what, what Gideon does in verses 33 uh, to 35. It says, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites, who are the enemy, uh, the people of the east gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. So these guys are getting ready for battle. These guys are coming together, and they're getting ready uh, to fight. And in verse 34, it says, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizrites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers to all of Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. And he also sent messengers to, to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they all came up to meet them. God gathered behind Gideon an army. And so as we step out, we're never on our own. We've got God with us. We've got our community with us. That's what it means to be part of a family. Uh, we've got our friends and allies with us. And so Gideon must have been feeling pretty good, you know. He, we realized that... Um, we heard that he kind of freaked out when God said, you're going to deliver all of Israel. And uh, he, he kind of had a little bit of a, uh, one of those things and said, not me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm the least person of the least tribe. So surely you've got the wrong person. But God rallies behind uh, Gideon an army of 32,000 men. So Gideon must have been, man, yes, God. See, I see, I see how we're going to do it now, God. Me, God, and 32,000 men, right? And so uh, Gideon has this army, and, and we don't have time to get into uh, the specifics of this next section in too much detail, but what, in too much detail this series. But what Gideon does is he goes and he asks God um, for signs. And so that, that's a different message. But he asks God to, to give him a sign, and he says, you do this, and I'll know that it's you. And God does it. 
And then he goes, oh, hang on a minute. I still need to know that it's you. So he says, so now you do it. This, and he just tells God to reverse what he's told him to do the last time. And God does it. Uh, and so, you know, after God raising an army behind him, God speaking to him and giving him signs, uh, he finally realizes that maybe God's uh, on his side. So he's feeling really good about himself. Uh, and in chapter, chapter 7, God says to Gideon, you know what, Gideon? Um, you've got too many men. He says, go out and tell all the men that are afraid to go home. Go out and tell all the men that are fearful to go home. 22,000 men decide they're going to go home. And so Gideon's standing there and he's like, you know, God, I thought we had this. Ever felt like that? God, I thought we had this. I thought we were moving in the right direction. Maybe he's a little bit like, oh, you know, you, yeah, you know, 10,000. You've still got 10,000. I've got God and 10,000 men. We can do this. And God says to Gideon, you've still got too many men. So he, God says, bring, bring your men down to the, wa- to the water to have a drink. And so as they, as they kind of uh, lean down to have a drink, they fall into two groups. They fall into two cate- categories. Categories are those who kind of, Kneel down, we'll take a knee and, and drink. And then there are those who uh, just bent over and lapped the water up with their hands and, and brought the water uh, to their mouth. In, in, in Judges 7, verse 7, uh, we read that the Lord then says to Gideon, by the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go. Every man to his place. So Gideon has gone from going on this mission. He's gone from having 32,000 men. He's got God on his side and 32,000 men. It's like, yeah. And then God goes, not too many gone, too many more gone. And then he's standing at the other end and he's probably going, 300. Small army to take on. Uh, these Midianites who, as we heard uh, last week, they've just been totally terrorizing the Israelites. At harvest time, they've been coming, stealing their harvest, burning their land, and leaving it uh, in complete uh, ruins. You know, I just kind of wonder if any of us here have ever gone through a season with God where God is calling us into something in ministry, in our personal lives, in business, where God is calling us, in, and God is calling us into more of the purpose that He has over our life. Uh, things that need uh, that need us to have a whole lot of faith for that thing, things that have this massive God gap in it uh, that needs to be filled. And uh, then we've started to see it look, uh, you know, a little bit like things were starting to move in the right direction, you know, God, like God giving Gideon his 32,000 soldiers, and, and it's like, man, God, this is so good, we're, we're heading there, we're, we're moving in, in, in the direction to where we should be going, and then all of a sudden, something happens uh, that's had you feeling like you've been set back further behind than where you were to start with set back further behind than where you were uh, just 
a moment ago. Anyone ever had that experience uh, in their own life or in their ministry life? You know, where you felt like you were just about to get a breakthrough. You felt like you were just on the edge of getting into new ground, on the border of getting into new ground, uh, and then life takes a hit. You know, I think that's what it must have been like for Gideon, going from 32,000 to 300. And so your third point to note, this, your second point uh, this morning is that your setbacks are not final. Turn to the person next to you and tell them your setbacks are not final. Come on, tell them with a bit of conviction. Your setbacks are not final. And can I also say this morning, neither are your setbacks always from the enemy. I think a common mistake. Your setbacks are not final. Neither is it always the devil on your case. Judges 7, ch- 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 judges, judges 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Least Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. God cut back Gideon's army to make a big enough gap so that Gideon's army could never testify to their own strength in winning the battle. God cut back Gideon's army to make a big enough gap so that the only way they were ever gonna win was if God showed up. Could it be that your setback is God setting you up? Oh man, I I think God just loves to set us up sometimes and have a good laugh. Could it be that your setback is God setting you up with a gap that he plans to fill to bring the sort of impact that only God can bring in your life. Is God setting you back so that you and everyone around you will see that everything you've ever done, everything you've achieved was only possible because God did it through you and did it with you? You know, there's a great quote, great quote that's used by many leaders and pastors, uh, which I heard mentioned by a pastor by the name of Darius uh, Daniels. Uh, and the quote simply says this, your setback is a setup for your comeback. Your setback is a setup for your comeback. Man, when life sets you back, take a second look at it. And then get ready to come back. And not only come back, but with God, come back doing more than you ever believed you can achieve, more than you know you can ever achieve uh, in your own strength. Your setbacks are not final. 
Amen? Might take a little while for that one to sink in, I think. And then finally this morning, goes without saying really, but one that's important to uh, mention, uh, especially in a message like this, uh, one that we hear often. But your third point this morning is to put God first. Put God first. So, so Gideon had come to the point where he's, he's accepted what God's called him to do. Uh, he's come to the point where he's kind of realized that uh, he's, not, he's, you know, he's got God on his side. He's realized that there is a greater purpose and a greater calling. And then he's faced with this challenge of what it means and what it looks like to follow the voice of God. What it means and what it looks like to now step out, even though there's this big gap. Because I certainly know that in my experience and in my life, I've known that there is a call of God. But it's never necessarily meant that I've stepped out into the gap. And so he's, he's come to, to this point where he has to work out what it looks like and what it means to put God first. And we've all been challenged to put God first. Uh, we've all been challenged to put God first before ourselves. We've been challenged to, to what it means to put God first uh, before our family. What it means to put God first before our careers and our ambition. And can I just state at this point that putting God first doesn't equate to putting church first or putting ministry first. Ministry is not our God. Church is not our God. God is God. And so when it's, I think it's important to point that out that when I say to put God first before ourselves, it's, it's putting God and what God is speaking into our lives first. And that doesn't always relate to ministry. In fact, sometimes it means giving up one ministry for another. Or it means giving up ministry for some other calling that God has called you to. But I think we all understand what it means and what it looks like to have that challenge of putting God first. You know, when I first became a Christian, uh, I was brought up in the Catholic Church. And uh, it was, how old was I then? I was probably 19, 20, what was that? That was just a little while ago, two years ago, something like that. Um, but it was, right at, it was right at the break uh, of the Pentecostal movement. It was right at the outbreak of um, the Holy Spirit moving uh, through, uh, through our nation. And it was uh, just, just before Hillsong started to become big uh, in, in and people were just exploring uh, this thing of, of the move of the Holy Spirit and uh, the, the move of God uh, in that way. And so I, I had a decision to make about whether I was going to continue to follow the path of seeking God and what I thought God was calling me to, because I believed God was calling me to seek Him in an environment of um, the Christian Pentecostal church, uh, whether I was going to do that or whether... I was going to surrender to my parents 
who were determined to keep me in the Catholic Church. Uh, partly because they had these ideas, I believe, of me becoming a priest one day uh, or becoming a religious brother. And so, uh, you know, I was, I was faced with this decision. It's like, well, come on, God, how am I supposed to honor my mum and dad when that's going on? But then try to follow you when I believe this is where you're calling me to. And so, you know, the question was, um, what, was I going to listen to God or was I going to listen to my parents? Uh, here's their even bigger question. Was I going to fight with God or was I going to surrender to keep peace? Was I going to fight what I believe God was calling me to, or was I going to surrender to keep peace? And uh, that's a scary place to be in and a scary place to stand. I, I, well, I was freaked out about it. And uh, I believe today, and, and I believe that I'm here today um, because I chose way back then to seek after God and to fight. That must have been about 18 years ago when I first entered the Elam Church because we haven't left it. And the fight it was most Sunday mornings for a decent six to 12 months uh, to get to church. And, um, you know, I mentioned last Sunday that the people of Israel had been caught up in this cycle of being uh, unfaithful to God. They'd been They'd go from being unfaithful to God to then ending up under the control and under the dominance of uh, their oppressors, the Midianites, uh, and then they'll cry out to God to save them, and then God would, through uh, these men and women of God who we read about in the Judges, God will deliver them um, to a, a certain extent. And their, their unfaithfulness to God was around the worship of idols. Their unfaithfulness to God was because they had started, it was because they had started worshiping uh, the idols of those who were around them uh, in the community. The worship and the devotion of their lives to someone or something other than God. Put God first. You know, idols don't need to look like a statue anymore. It is anything that you have worshipped and devoted to, that you worship and devote your life to other than God. It's anything that you elevate above where God is in your life. Now, Judges 6, verse 25 to 27. It says, Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar to Baal, that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in the proper arrangement, and take a second bull, and after a burnt suffering uh, sacrifice, and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among the servants, and did as the Lord had said to him, but because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day. He did it by night. 
Gideon had to fight to put God first in the life of the Israelite people. He had to tear down their idol and bring their focus back to God. And as we read, because he was afraid uh, of everyone else uh, and what they'd do to him uh, and his men, they went and did it by night. You know, what God asks of us sometimes is scary. But I believe wholeheartedly that we need to learn to put God first whenever he asks. You see, the problem we face uh, is that after dealing with our own doubts, after dealing with our own insecurities and our own fears, we often have to deal with our fear of others. What others are going to think, what others are going to say, how others are going to react, how others may see us differently when we begin to act on what God is calling us into. You know, praise God that He is the great restorer of all things, amen? And over time, my parents uh, came to accept my decision come out of the Catholic Church, and uh, in actual fact, became very proud of, of Debbie and I uh, as we entered into ministry and worship and young adults pastors. When we follow God, when we put God first, He restores all things again. He brings back everything we think we lost. He'll return everything that we think we've sacrificed. Maybe not the way we want to see it. But I believe with God, always better than how we want to see it. And so I just want to, in closing, share one last thought as those uh, who are handing out communion. Um, those who are handing out communion can come and do that now. You know, we serve a mighty God. And uh, the might that Gideon had, the strength that Gideon had, I believe was a combination of what little he had to bring God's strength with him and then the army that God brought around him. That was Gideon's strength. The strength we have is what little strength we all bring individually. The strength we have is the strength that we have as a family of God, as a community of God. The strength we have is the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus says goes with us. The might of Gideon, the might that Gideon had wasn't just of himself. It was of God with him. And so the 300, the 
300 uh, that they had did as Gideon told them to do, which is what God told Gideon to do. So it always works like that. And they surrounded the camp. They surround the camp and they've got a torch in one hand and a trumpet in the other. Talk about weapons of mass destruction. A torch in one hand and a trumpet in the other. And then it tells us in Judges 7 verse 22, when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword this is, this is the sword of, of their opposition. This is the sword of their enemies. Every man's sword against his companion throughout the camp. Think about that sort of warfare. Showing the torch. And then all the enemies just kind of self-destruct against themselves. And then they fled to all those funky named places that are in that part of the verse. So the 300 sent by God blew their trumpets. And here's what happened that I think we can take away from this. They blew their trumpet and God went and fought for them. They blew their trumpets. Yeah, I agree. Amen. They blew their trumpets and God went and fought for them. Not because they blew their trumpets, not because they waved their torches around, but because they did what God said to do. They put God's word first and they obeyed. And then when they did what God said, God fought for them. What an awesome God we serve. When you leave your God gaps for God to fill in, God fights for you. He's our divine warrior. I can tell you now, that is taught in theology. God is a divine warrior. Yes, he's love. Yes, he's grace. Yes, he's mercy. But God fights. He is a warrior. He raises armies against his enemies. And his son Jesus conquered the grave and defeated the power of sin over our lives. And so as we close uh, this morning with communion. We put God first by remembering the gift of our salvation, by remembering His love and His grace. We praise God that He is our strength and that we're never alone with Him, but that He's always with us. And we thank Him that our setbacks here on earth are never final. We 
the victory is ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So, Heavenly Father, as we remember your Son, Lord, we just come with hearts of thanksgiving. And we say thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Thank you for loving us so much that you would send your only begotten Son so that we might find hope, so that we might be restored into a right relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for the cross, the altar that we come to, the cross that we see, of your son Jesus that sets people free. And Lord, we just pray all glory be to you in our lives through the great works that you do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Let's eat and drink this morning. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for this morning. Lord, we thank you that as a family, we can come together and, and praise and glorify your name. Father, we thank you that we can come and sit under the teaching of uh, your word, Father, and that your Holy Spirit can speak and move uh, in our lives. Lord, again, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will continue to, to engrave into our hearts, Father God, uh, what you want to speak into us. Uh, Lord, that you would continue to just uh, build courage in our lives, that you'd continue to, uh, to help us, Father God, to go in the strength uh, that we have, knowing that we're never alone, but that you're with us, Father, that, uh, Lord, that we'd be able to continue to put you uh, first in everything that we do, uh, Father God, and that, Lord, as we uh, come across setbacks, uh, Lord, that we'd be able to uh, see, Father God, the setup that you're placing in our lives for our comeback. And Lord, uh, may the fruit that we produce in our lives do nothing but bring glory to your awesome name. All glory and honor to you, mighty God, for what you're doing, for all that you've done. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.